Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Out My Optics, a podcast where grown adults discuss, overanalyze and generally take toy and media franchises originally intended for kids a little too seriously, usually that of the Transformers. I am your child of the 80s, fresh off his paper round, devouring the latest issue of Transformers Orion Gear, and with me is my, what do you mean there were 332 issues of Transformers UK before I was even born, and what the <laughs> heck is a paper round, co-host, Virtual <laughs> Dave. Hello Dave. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so, um, you may remember from our last episode, we did promise some very special guests this year, mm-hmm. and here is our first. None other than the daddy of Death's Head, the genesis of Geaxis, the progenitor of Primus, the mastermind, mastermind of Marvel UK, Simon Furman. Ooh. Yeah, arguably one of the most influential creators and certainly the most consistently present and prolific throughout the now almost 40 years of the franchise. Now, sadly, Dave wasn't able to attend the interview because you were a bit poorly, weren't you? Yeah, it's... um. It wasn't a happy sight. You wouldn't have wanted to hear it, folks. <laughs> no, no, a bit croaky. Um, yeah. You were saying it sounded like it was something from a horror movie. It did. I didn't know my voice could reach some depths, but um, <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, you, you were missed. You were missed. Um, so, yeah, I had to fly solo on this one. Um, so what we're going to do is, like we did with the James, the James Roberts interview, is we're going to talk a bit about our experience of Simon's work and um, and 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 the interview, but we're going to do it after the interview because we might as well just get to the meat and potatoes of the podcast straight away. I know you guys don't want to hear us wanging on forever, so after we play the interview, we'll do a little bit of a chat about his work and about my super professional interview skills and how great I am. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. So by way of an of an intro. Simon is a man who, in my opinion, needs no introduction, but just in case you've been living under a rock for the past 40 years of Transformers, Simon Furman is a comic book writer who has been writing Transformers comics almost non-stop since 1985. Uh, in addition to that, he has written other titles for Marvel, such as She-Hulk and Alpha Flight, and his own original creations like Death's Head, Dragon's Claws, as well as work on his own creator-owned titles more recently, such as his recent collaboration with Transformers artist Jeff Senior, To The Death. And, as you'll find out from the interview, a few new, few other things, I, some, some of which I wasn't even aware of. From starting on the Transformers UK comic book, to taking over the US comic book, to G2, to Beast Wars, to Dreamwave, to IDW, his impact on the Transformers franchise has been immense. So now you're up to speed... Here is my interview with the man himself. Without further ado, we should have the man himself on the line. Hello, Simon, and welcome to Out My Optics! Hi there, nice to be here. <laughs> Thank you for giving up your time to be on our little podcast. So, before we start today, um, as in the day of recording, it is actually the birthday of our occasional co-host, Galactosh, and I promised I'd ask him if you'd wish him a happy birthday. Well, happy birthday, Galactosh. Fantastic! Thank you very much. He's our resident comic book expert, so he'll be quite um, quite pleased with that. <laughs> so uh, normally, I'm accompanied by my much younger, trusty co-host, Virtual Dave, um, who is sadly poorly and unable to talk. So we'd usually go for a kind of conversational vibe, but seeing as it's just me and you, it might be a little bit more back and forth questions. 
And knowing you've been interviewed countless times and done more convention panels than I can shake a stick at, <laughs> um, I, we might be going over some old ground. So I'll, I'll try not to too much. Yeah, that's that's par for the course. I can imagine. Yeah. So maybe by way of an introduction, this podcast is predominantly about Transformers, but also about other stuff as well. Do you mind kind of running through how you ended up basically, well, writing for Transformers and then pr- quick, pretty quickly running the whole show at Marvel UK? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I began my script writing career and editorial career at IPC magazines. I worked on the short-lived horror comic called Scream. And part of that was working with the editor, Ian Rimmer, on that comic. Now, Ian, once Scream folded, it only lasted 15 issues, sadly, but is fondly remembered Mm -hmm. Uh, but Ian went straight from there to Marvel UK where he became editor on Captain Britain Monthly and a few months later he introduced me to Sheila Craner who was the editor over there on the newly launched Transformers comic Transformers UK and that in turn led to me being offered some writing work I'd done some script writing on Scream and Sheila was looking for British writers to create bespoke British Transformers stories that would sit Mm -hmm. in between and pad out between the American material just because that only came once a month and this was a fortnightly or weekly comic. So they needed stories, they needed to be all self-contained and quite non-impactful on the American storyline. And, you know, there was already one in production, which was written by Steve Parkhouse and drawn by John Ridgway. So that was all going through. And Sheila needed other writers to come in and also create stories. So she sent me off with a pile of reference and toy packs and things like that, because I'd never heard of Transformers. I hadn't seen the cartoon. I hadn't seen even the American comic I wasn't familiar with. So I sat down with a pile of tech specs and, uh, you know, sort of just the general overview of of the series, looked at what the American story had set up and came up with a pitch for a, uh, like I say, reasonably self-contained Starscream, Ravage, Brawn, three-hander called The Enemy Within. You know, other characters in it, but largely just those characters. Brawn didn't seem to be being used much in the American material we'd seen, but he looked a sort of fun character. And, you know, Ravage had only just been seen as this sort of skulking shape in the shadows. And I felt there was more to be done with that. And Starscream was just plain fun to write. So, of course. You know, I pitched the story. Sheila was, uh, you know, very pleased with it and sent me off to write it. And, you know, I had no expectations at that point. I thought this might be a one or two story job if I was lucky. You know, I was aware there were other writers. So, you know, I had no great expectation or feeling that, you know, where are we now? 30 Eight, almost 40. Yes, almost 40 <laughs> years later, I'd still be talking about Transformers. Indeed. Well, I mean, I think what helped that out was, I mean, I, I, I grew up, I, well, I grew up in the UK, I'm uh, 44. So I was reading those comics um, as a kid, 
my best friend at the time, his dad was getting them delivered with his newspapers. And for us in the UK, like you say, you weren't familiar with the cartoon, but no, neither were we really, because it wasn't really on telly, um, unless you had satellite television or something. Yeah. So I think it might have helped that that your continuity was the continuity for UK readers. Yeah, I mean, we had to be careful that we never gave the game away that our British continuity wasn't also the American comic continuity. You know, mm-hmm. it was supposed to be one through storyline. And we often took pains to, you know, integrate the two together and sometimes dovetail them a little, even though the British stories were self-contained. But yes, you know, we 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 didn't have to sort of we had no fealty to the the US cartoon series because like you say it wasn't really on regularly um the marvel comic hadn't set itself up that way you know we could tell they were different beasts just by looking at mm-hmm. the two of them so really it was it was left to us to really just tell the kind of comics we wanted to read you know i never have approached a comic writing job without just thinking would i want to read this mm-hmm. is this the kind of story i grew up reading you know whether it was in sort of british comics like valiant and smash and lion or you know in the american marvel comics which i devoured when i was still quite young you know and I, all the only rule of thumb was tell a story that you'd want to read yourself yeah not not speak down to the reader either because i suppose it's considered a kids comic at the time yeah and the cartoon was a little younger pitched you know mm. it was it kind of veered towards the little a little silly at times and we just mm-hmm. decided to take a more very much modeled on the marvel model of comic books you know a little more age up and not, you know we we definitely didn't want to write down to readers we talked about the comics that you read just then. I was going to ask something about that anyway, so thanks for preempting that. <laughs> but um, so, what was was the, what were the influences on your writing at the time? Was it stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, originally the stuff I grew up reading was a lot of those British comics of the time, and like I say, they were Smash and Valiant and Lion and mm-hmm. you know, a few other strips. You know, I was uh, I was a big fan, even though I was slightly older at that point, of Leopard from Lime Street, a sort of British Spider-Man. Yeah. And, you know, so I loved all that. But once I discovered Marvel Comics and that kind of grandiose storytelling of Stan Lee and Kirby and Ditko and all the others, you know, I, I kind of there was almost no looking back. The British comics started to seem a little old fashioned by mm-hmm. comparison. You know, sometimes British comics of the time felt stuck in an era 40, 50, 60 years before they the actual current day. They, they, felt, they read more like almost post-colonial or World War II comics. And we very much wanted to emulate more the Marvel style of making them very now and relevant when we started on Transformers and just about anything else we wrote. I was going to say, was that the vibe generally across all of Marvel UK at the time? Because there's a lot, there was a lot of books coming out at that time. Like you had like um, uh, Thundercats and uh, the Spider-Man and Zoids comic and all those kind of yeah. various things, Ghostbusters, etc. Yeah, I, I think nobody really wanted to, you know, make them look anything other than 
now comics you know that people could definitely get a handle on you know we always set transformers very much in the here and now apart from when we were in the future but mm. you know, it, it was the same even with you know sort of thundercats you know which was set on another planet and whatever yeah. we and zoids but they were all written with that kind of slightly british comic sensibility that was a little even edgier than the american comics you know <laughs> often the british creators and you know they often later migrated to america to bring that sensibility into the comics you know the zoids features some very early work by grant morrison who you know almost used it as a tryout for some of his later things like the invisibles you can see the themes in zoids that he was just dabbling around with there and then just went <laughs> crazy with when he started working for America and vertigo so you know yeah it, it was just we never looked at it as anything other than these are the kind of comics we like. We looked at 2000, we saw 2000 AD on a regular basis, you know, mm. good friends with the people at 2000. And, you know, they had that slightly anarchic, skewed sense of humour that we decided was, was, was right for us as well. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about 2000 ideas because, like, at the same kind of time, there was, was there a bit of rivalry between the two of you, Marvel UK and... 2000 AD because I, th- I was we did an interview with um James Roberts and he said that at one time Transformers started out selling it yeah I mean I think Transformers were selling very well I don't think there was any much rivalry I mean we <laughs> used to the only rivalry amounted to we used to occasionally play softball against the 2000 AD you know <laughs> uh, editors writers artists but generally that was just an excuse to go down the pub. So mm-hmm. I don't think there was any actual rivalry per se. But yeah, you know, I mean, I think we were incredibly proud of the fact that Transformers was possibly outselling. I don't know, you know, what the exact figures were, but certainly <laughs> in its sort of prime, as it were, Transformers was selling, you know, the equivalent of 200,000 copies a week, you know, which is just by today's standards staggering. Yeah, it's insane. But, you know, I mean, 2000 has always, you know, we were very different beasts, Mm -hmm. you know, because we were dealing largely with licensed product until we got to, you know, Dragon's Claws and Death's Head and Sleaze Brothers. But largely because we were licensed product, we never felt in direct competition with 2000 AD it was just its own entity, really. Yeah, I mean, and being um like a satellite office of Marvel, did you have a lot, a lot of autonomy from US Marvel? Because it it doesn't seem like they were really paying much attention to what you were doing. I think I heard that um, Bob Bodansky wasn't really aware of what was being written in your issues until much later. Yeah, the, I mean, it, it became more. They became more aware once we started to produce more, I think. I mean, Marvel UK was always just a, originally really just a reprint satellite of Marvel America. You know, some editors Mm. there I don't think even knew we existed. But quite early on, we had a visit from Jim Shooter, who was the editor-in-chief at the time. And that was quite a sort of almost a validation of us a bit in terms of he came over, took a direct you know, it wasn't editorial oversight, but he certainly came over and gave us the benefit of the the Marvel way of doing comics. And 
and you know we were delighted to you know listen to what he had to say and and you know even adapt a certain amount to make it more marvel us style but yeah cuz sorry were you writing in the marvel style at the time yeah i mean you know we were writing we were writing full script we, in other words everything was in their panel descript individual panel descriptions dialogue the lot which was more of a british way of doing it but we did in terms of art adopt a more us style grid page layout after a while you know mm-hmm. if you look at the first 100 issues of transformers the art was a little more free form it was you know just you know however the artist thought it looked best on the page but there was a period after issue 100 or so where it becomes much more of a lockdown six four whatever panel marvel grid system so we did try and adopt a little bit of the the look of it yeah, it's definitely a shift, like the earlier stuff, and especially with like this, the the robot designs as well, because they, I think some of some of them were based on toys, some of them were based on kind of earlier concept art. It was a more of a shift towards a more kind of unified look, and eventually Transformers UK had a very very much a look of its own, really. Well, the Transformers comic in general did. Yeah, and I think that was to do with the artists working on it. Again, the mm-hmm. artists were quite different from, you know, the the Don Perlins and jose delbos who just drew them more or less as per the the model sheets the animated Mm. turnaround sheets but originally we didn't have those from the animated tv show we just had pack art and the toys so that's why originally they look much more like their toy versions and then around the time of target 2006 we were given the whole sheaf of uh, animation turnarounds of the characters so you'd have them mm-hmm. drawn for animation and then every angle of that character so i mean the artists were delighted because it made them a <laughs> great deal easier to draw and to move them you know some of the toys weren't built for comic sort of <laughs> no <laughs> no but they weren't even built to be the toy the, the characters they eventually ended up being really so exactly I mean, that's a, you touched on 2006, uh, Target 2006. And basically, in that, you ended up with exclusive access to the movie characters. I don't know, I don't know whether this has been talked about. It maybe has, and I've missed it. But how did you end up with exclusive use of those? Was Bob not under any um, pressure to use them in the US comic? No, I mean, Bob plainly just said, we're not using those characters. They did an, they did an adaptation of the, the animated movie. Mm. Um, and then really they were just that was their obligation done i think and i think bob had so many other characters to introduce on a rolling basis yeah you know adding in another sort of 20 characters from the movie would have just been a major headache yeah we were extremely fortunate in that respect because a we loved the animated movie we thought it was brilliant and also it gave us our own cast that we could use without fear of the American comic coming in later and, uh, you know, trampling all over anything we'd done. So, yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a sort of turning point for us, that the animated movie. It, it gave us a lot more freedom. It gave us more of a storytelling identity because we could just keep bouncing forward into the future and tell 
those stories post movie so yeah mm-hmm. overall it was it was the the definitely the best thing that happened to us on the UK comic yeah and then you were able to use those characters when you took over the, the US comic as well and bring that all to, all together in a way yeah i mean you know that was the great thing you know we we couldn't tell the exact same stories but again that cast was waiting in the wings for us to get to and you know when i took over on the us comic it was kind of very earth based it felt stuck on earth a little bit and mm-hmm. i desperately wanted to get that cosmic space opera sweep that we'd put into the uk comic into the us and so that was where bringing in unicron and introducing the idea of primus and putting galvatron in the mix all made a lot of sense for us because it gave it that more epic you know untethered from earth sweep Mm. and it ran ran longer than expected as well so that was i mean i've been rereading the um the trades of a of a like end of the road and so on and all fall down and all that kind of stuff I mean, and, and I think when you, did you did you when you came on, you weren't expecting it to go more than a, what ten issues or something. No, I mean when you know by this point, you know we knew Bob quite well. You know, Bob went from not knowing we existed to starting a lot of communication between us, and then I went over to Marvel US offices at one point and met up with Bob and Don Daly, who was the editor at the time, and just generally got to know everybody well and you know bob and i are sort of friends to to the day really you know we you know Mm -hmm. we kept friends over the time and you know we just got on really well and then bob came over to the uk and just told me over a lunch that he wanted to give up on the us comic i think had actually been trying to give up for a while but Mm. there just wasn't a, a next writer waiting in the wings and he more or less offered the job to me over lunch. And I was glad to accept, but it came with the caveat from Bob that the comic was dipping in sales and wasn't expected to last more than half a year at most. Mm-hmm. So, but I was happy to take the job because it was my first work for Marvel US. And I thought, well, great, at least it's, slightly a foot in the door over there but yes as you say we we managed to keep it going for something like 25 issues so a couple of years or so yeah and it's some of the best stuff like i really enjoy that kind of that whole unicron saga which pretty much you set you kind of seed it quite early on and it all kind of like pan umbrellas out as it were towards the end of the whole thing yeah i mean we were lucky as well we were operating under less restrictions, really. You know, Hasbro weren't as they didn't have in more new product coming all the time. You know, that was we were pretty much up to MicroMasters when I joined. And there weren't really many defined product launches after that. So the pressure was off us having to bring in just new character after new character. And we could just relax a little bit. And Hasbro weren't too worried about what we were doing you know we used to just mm. run with the stories and i don't think we had any sort of you know other than yet yeah, this is fine feedback from hasbro so you know we in a way we got the the easy bit of it i i felt always felt sorry for bob 
just having to more or less clear the decks every few issues and bring in yet another new car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and like you said, it got your foot in the door with Marvel proper, as uh, as you might say, which led you on to writing other titles like what uh, Sensational She-Hulk and um, a few other things. Uh, Alpha Flight? Alpha Flight. Uh, yeah, I yeah. went from Transformers all right, even while I was doing Transformers. You know, various other things rolled out from that. And yes, I did Alpha Flight for a couple of years. And uh, She-Hulk, what if I did about eight or nine what ifs mm-hmm. and various other things like toxic crusaders captain planet i I did whatever they threw <laughs> brute force which was working with uh bob again bob budiansky so uh yeah no i mean it, it was uh the glory days for me in terms <laughs> of working for marvel you know i was right where i wanted to be yeah i mean then then there was g2 which i mean didn't last as long as well. I don't think you expected it to last long, did you? In, in fact, have you seen that Hasbro finally did a Jaxus figure? I have one. In <laughs> fact, I have a couple now on my shelf, <laughs> kindly given to me um, by various people. And yeah, that that's very satisfying to see. You know, it's always lovely to think that a character you created with, well, no expectation back then. Is is in such a, a comic accurate toy now? Mm. Looks really. I mean, his name was even a bit of a pun, wasn't it? So it was, yeah. You know, we, <laughs> we you know, the, there was no great optimism that Generation Two would last very long at all. We really didn't know. We certainly didn't think without without a animated TV show, without a lot of kind of. TV advertising or product backup, you know, we were aware it was liable to have a shelf life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, G-Axis was a little bit of a pun. <laughs> yeah. you know, sort of it, it was, as as with everything, you know, we, we did it in the hope we would be proved wrong, really. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, from there you went on to do some stuff with Beast Wars and uh, and then obviously Dreamwave after that. Yep. I mean, and didn't, didn't do the Beast Wars get you into the TV stuff? Yeah, well, Beast Wars was, you know, the the step before that was we were, Andrew Wildman and I were invited out to 1997's BotCon convention. Now, we had no idea at this point that Transformers had continued after G2 in terms of a fan base. We weren't familiar with Beast Wars, which had started the year before. And here we were being invited out to a dedicated fan convention. Mm-hmm. You know, we wrote a Beast Wars comic for that based on the, the toy exclusives they were bringing out and had to really bone up on what Beast Wars was and... Uh, and the fact that it has started to link itself back to the G1 universe. And so at that convention, I met Bob Forward and Larry Dottilio, who were the co-script editors on the show, as well as various cast members. And, you know, again, we just got on really well. Uh, Bob and Larry were lovely people who, you know, were very complimentary about saying they'd taken stuff from G2 largely. They they'd taken the swarm yeah. as an inspiration for the Vok from Beast Wars. 
And both of them thought it would be really fun if I could write a somewhat G1 themed episode for the show. So I went away from that, floated a couple of ideas past them, various different ones, one of which didn't happen but became part of a Beast Wars novella collection or Transformers short story collection mm-hmm. called A Meeting of Minds. Uh, but we, um, yeah, we we pitched various things, but in the end the show was coming to an end. You know, I think before Bob and Larry really realised it was time to draw a line under Beast Wars. And so I just got drafted in to write what turned out to be the final episode. Yeah. Second part of, you know, the finale to the whole show. So I worked closely with Bob Forward on that, who wrote the first half. We co-plotted the whole thing. And then, yeah, sadly, that was it for Beast Wars, which was (laughs) a little bit disappointing, really. Yeah, yeah. I did introduce the name of the uh, the Decepticon ship, though, I guess. Uh, So that that went went in the law, I suppose. Yeah, we got the Nemesis in there. We got the Covenant of Primus in there and Mm -hmm. all those things. So, you know, it was it was great to do. And again, it was one of those door openers in as much as. Bob and I went on to work together on several other shows after that. We worked on a show called Roswell Conspiracies, Alien Myths and Legends was the whole title, Dan Dare, X-Men Evolution, you know, so Mm. another raft of... So, you know, even though I didn't do any more Beast Wars animated TV, I did a lot more after that. Yeah, so yeah, it's another kind of yeah, like you say, another another in on a another area of writing. I mean, is is writing for TV considerably different to comic writing? It is. I think you have to understand that you're somewhat writing by committee in terms of lots of people will have an input on the story, and the, your first draft is very very unlikely to be what ends up on the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, a, the whole, a script editor's job there is really to come in and, you know, address show-ish specific issues and, you know, make sure everything fits the style of the show. So you do end up just letting go a little bit more on the control you have in comics. Comics, generally what you write, with very few exceptions, ends up on the page. Yeah. It might be tweaked and... You might do polishes and stuff, but largely what you write is what ends up printed. But with TV animation, you just have to take a step back and go, this will change. This will be adapted, amended, possibly bits rewritten. So, yeah, it's it's a different process in that respect. I can imagine, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, so, yeah, so I guess... After after Beast Wars and uh, well G two and Beast Wars and so on, you ended up working for Dreamwave for a while, which which started well. <laughs> I know it ended badly, but is there anything like particularly you're particularly proud of from that period that you wish you'd been able to expand on further? Apologies if this sounds a bit disjointed. That's because it is due to limitations of Zoom. We had to restart our session, and being the consummate professional Orion Gear clearly isn't, he forgot to record on Simon's end for a minute or two. Hopefully, it still makes sense. Sorry. And it was most yeah, that's right. And it was mostly just that we never got to finish things like Age of Wrath, the third war within, 
and that we were running myself and Alex Milne on Energon with a real energy and freedom because it was Energon. Oh, nobody really, again, was focusing on it like they were the G1 stuff. So we were just having a blast taking that show and turning it into a, a pretty sort of, again, gods and monsters style epic mm. storyline with you know unicron alpha, alpha quintessence you know that we were just really enjoying that comic and you could see alex's art coming on leaps and bounds issue by issue so again just the the shame that we got to issue 30 and never got to the end of energon which would have then if everything had continued on transitioned into Transformers Cybertron comic. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's a disappointing thing in as much as I hate leaving things unfinished. I hate that people don't get the end of stories. Mm. And occasionally I've bought script packs to conventions of the scripts that were never published for that. So, you know, that's the biggest regret of Dreamwave that we just didn't get to continue. But like I say, no Dreamwave probably no IDW Transformers comics afterwards because they really created that buzz of interest in the comics buying public that IDW were able to then pick up the license and create their own, you know, 17 years worth of comics. Yeah, I mean, the IDW, IDW universe does owe quite a lot to that Dreamwave stuff, even though it's not exactly the same in tone. There is, there's a shift in tone from the old Marvel stuff to to what Dreamwave are doing, and then further in IDW, which I think it's, it's like a stepping stone between the two. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you can see that with IDW, we took a more... The Dreamwave comics tended to be a little more retro in as much as they were harking back to something. Mm. And I think with the IDW comics, the strategy was to, no, we're not going to hark back. We're going to make it more modern comics more relevant mm. a little less comic-y if you like you know and i think that played out over the whole course of idw that it it somewhat transcended the fact that they were comics at all so i, I think it was just a different approach yeah. with idw and you got to pretty much kick that off with like phase one with uh, the um infiltration comic and and all that kind of stuff so did you i think I read that you pitched it as kind of like the ultimate Marvel kind of treatment. Yeah, it was more a discussion than a pitch, yeah. even. You know, Chris Ryle, the editor-in-chief, and I talked a lot about what we could do with Transformers, how could we make it a little bit different from anything that had gone before. And after we discarded a couple of ideas, the one we settled on was definitely the model was that Marvel ultimate Spider-Man, ultimate X-Men, ultimate whatever, that took those familiar characters, but set them in a more modern comics context, mm. right down to the storytelling, the somewhat more character-focused, where it was less superheroics and supervillains and more about the characters you know there was a lot more focus on the everyday life i suppose in them a little slower unfolding of mm -hmm. plot lines and we took that as our model but you know almost immediately with infiltration because we were in the internet age now we were getting feedback that people were 
wanting the robots quicker than we were supplying them. Yeah. We were happy to do this sort of gently unfolding introduction of the robots. You know, you look back to the Marvel comic and the characters are introduced in two double page spreads where they introduce <laughs> themselves. That's all the characters. 30 something characters are just plonked into the first issue. With this, we wanted to do more of a slow drip of characters that you only see the robots more and more as you progress through the series. But the feedback we got was we want more robots. So <laughs> at that point, Chris and I said, what can we do? And that was Stormbringer, yeah. which was Cybertron set storyline. So it meant infiltration, escalation and so on could unfold at their pace while we dropped a whole load of other stuff in in, in Stormbringer. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I I was reading at the time and, and Stormbringer felt more like the Dreamwave stuff, more like the War Within stuff than than what was happening in the, the, the new IDW you know, escalation and so on stuff. Um, is that because people were missing that a little bit? A, a little bit. I think there's two things. One, Stormbringer was da- drawn by Don Figueroa. <laughs> yeah, that helps. Come. Through from the Dreamwave era. Mm. And EJ's art, EJ Sue's art, was more technical, I suppose. Yeah. It it was it was it was less splashy and more of the of the real world. Mm. And I think you know there were just two different art styles and approaches going on, which is why they seem different. But in a way that suited us yeah. that you had the big cosmic cybertron storyline and then you had that slower focused earth storyline and they both had their unique look and style mm. yeah and i mean you, you got to do quite a lot of work for idw over their tenure basically and got to finish off the um marvel uk well not marvel uk sorry marvel <laughs> marvel Comics storyline with regeneration one and then also fill in some back stuff with transformers 84 yeah i mean you know idw splendid company to work for i've always i've enjoyed working for them on so many levels and yes their ability to you know do one thing but also to say come back in and do regeneration one Mm. come back in and do transformers 84 has just kept me interested apart from anything you know that i can delve back into these things and in, in certainly with regeneration one do that thing that i never got to do with dreamwave of taking some an ending we had to rush mm. and 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 finishing it off with room to breathe anyway yeah yeah and i really enjoyed regeneration one I, and uh, i only really read transformers 84 like in the last couple of months or so but i really enjoyed that i like the way that it's all kind of especially the art and the coloring and the writing all kind of invokes like that feeling that tone from the marvel comics but kind of with a kind of updated kind of feel to it and there's lots of stuff where you're weaving stuff in and out of what was going on in the comic yeah i think pretty pretty damn well to be honest it's very good even weaving some of the uk storylines in there you mm. know man of iron had always sat apart because it was that way that's the way it was tailored when it was written way back when but we just took it as an opportunity transformers 84 to weave that back into some kind of proper continuity with the rest of the Marvel stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was again very satisfying and fun to do. And and Guido and JP 
really knocked it out of the park with that slightly retro style of art and colour. It looks amazing, yeah. And, you know, it was really fun on another level I hadn't anticipated, which was using Punch Counter Punch, Hmm. who isn't a character I'd ever really even thought much about, but was so perfect for that series. And, yeah, it just became almost the star for me of the whole thing yeah it was really good it was a really good narrator for the series and uh and it was good to see um some of your old favorites like grimlock and starscream and so on come back and get involved and shockwave i'm a massive fan of shockwave so it was good that he was basically the puppet master throughout quite a lot of that stuff yeah no no it it was (laughs) it was a really fun series to work on and you know sort of Again, very sad that we didn't get to do a little more of that because it would have been great to continue with that sort of Cybertronian thread of of Transformers 84 that we'd set up Mm. with Deathstormers and so forth. Indeed. Well, I mean, who knows? Who knows? We'll take the license afterwards. Uh, Maybe maybe you'll be back. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, who knows? It's one of those things that could fit into anybody's publishing sort of plans i guess yeah i think there's still a lot of appetite for that the old marvel storyline as well as the um the stuff that was set up in idw i mean i really enjoyed all the idw stuff um i, I wasn't expecting to to be honest because you know especially when dreamwave had finished i was like can i am i really going to jump on another transformers comic book that might just collapse yeah. so i kind of left it for a while until it like some people started going no, seriously, you should read this. This is really good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. In, uh, I mean, I, I imagine even if you have been spoken to about any future um, taker up of the license, you wouldn't be able to talk about it anyway. So I won't press you. No, and, and, I, and actually the, the plain answer is I don't know any more than you on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so anyway, um, now we've done a bit of a, a, bit of a history lesson, <laughs> as it were. Um, what are you working on right now then? Well, for the last year or two, you know, I've been focusing a lot more on some of my sort of more self-publishing creator-owned ventures. Um, We have uh, a series, myself and Jeff Senior, called To the Death, which we bought out originally as a digital comic, um, and then we reformatted it for print and self-published that. And that's all out and still available. And we recently did a little uh, sequel to that mm-hmm. in Shift Comic, uh, which has now been published in its own right as well, that little collection of stories. So, you know, we've been focusing on that. And yes, you know, I'm still writing things like I'm writing new Leopard from Lime Street stories for Monster Fun comic for Rebellion. That's ongoing into well, probably all through this year, and then hopefully there'll be a nice collected edition of specifically the Leopard from Lime Street strip. And um, I've been working with an artist called Martin Stiff on a crime noir graphic novel called Five Points. We're going to self-publish this year. We'll do it as a uh, a print-to-order comic that you can just order through... um, Amazon's KDP channel. So, uh, you know, it, I, I think, you know, basically there's a lot of more of the self-publishing. I'm, I'm working on 
Transformers games at the moment, some, you know, Earth Wars, which I can talk about, and another couple that I can't. Mm -hmm. You know, games has become quite a big part of my sort of daily workload. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got a few other projects kicking around, and we've also got the image behind me is from Astrobots, which is a new mech series that I worked on, nothing to do with Transformers. It's a... uh, a toy line developed by uh, a guy called Aaron Thomas, who basically designs these fantastically complex, you know, detailed toys. And they developed a whole line of characters that they needed a storyline for. I mean, they had a loose storyline, but Mm. I came in and wrote uh, a five issue mini series, which starts in March, I believe um, the first issue And yeah, you know, that, you know, it has been great fun to work on as well, because it's a very different mech story to Transformers. They don't transform for a start. (laughs) It's a much more a sort of sci-fi drama where the main characters are are mechs rather than humans. I've I've not heard of this, so I should definitely check it out. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can check out Bleeding Cool, the website, the comics website, did a little piece on it. Mm Mm-hmm just recently so and i think it's coming in march and the name of the publisher escapes me at the moment but (laughs) i'm sure i'll find it and put it in the notes or something (laughs) yeah so astrobots is coming out and you know high hopes for that as well the toys are fabulous uh and yeah it's it's just a kind of really good slice of future sci-fi set on a, a sort of colony world Mm-hmm. And the internal strife between these astrobots. It's fairly time twisting in, in various ways. But yeah, you know, it's been a lot of fun to work on. Yeah, it sounds sounds right up my alley to be honest. So I shall I shall give it a check uh, check it out. I'm, I've read a little bit of To the Death and I've really enjoyed what I've read so far. Um so I'll be getting the new stuff at some point, but because you can buy it now, can't you, on physical copies? Yeah, it's physical copies and we have the whole basically what we did was we did like I say, we did it online first, and then we reformatted it into 10 prestige format issues. Mm-hmm. So they're all 48 pages. They're all out now. And having done them as single issues, we then just did them as two slipcased sets. So mm-hmm. there's five issues in each. And those you can still get from getmycomics.com. They're uh, very much still available, plus a prequel <laughs> and a sequel. So... Uh, uh, next time I've got a bit of cash to uh, to spend, I'll, uh, I'll I'll check it out. So I mean, I was going to ask. Um, so as we did, I'd mentioned, there's no news on the future of the Transformers license. But um, are there any other IPs you wouldn't mind working on, or any characters um, from Marvel, DC, whatever that you that are something you'd like to work with? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I I I'm I'm a Marvel boy. I love working. You know, I've lo- I love my time working on various Marvel comics and properties so i'm always up for a bit of that but you know i'd love to do more original death's head i'd I'd really like that character just nicely rolls on in the marvel universe mm-hmm. I'd, I'd dearly love to you know get my hands on him again and do something new with him <laughs> um yeah just generally you know i'm you know i'm always you know I, i'm leaning much more like i say to my own comics, my own characters, 
developing IPs of my own that, you know, we can just sort of have more control of. And, and you know, the whole Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing print-to-order system is just, to me, a, a sort of future path for comics in terms of getting them into people's hands in the most pain-free way. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really like the idea that, you know, you can basically order the thing is printed at a local point and delivered to you within two days. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, well, you know, it becomes the easiest route to market. You know, To the Death took a lot of personal effort, I guess, on the part of me and Jeff to get it into comic shops, to get it into people's hands. You know, we forged a very useful alliance with um, GetMyComics.com so they're often our shop window for To The Death. Mm-hmm. They also uh, publish Shift. So, you know, we've, we forged a very good alliance with them with publishing. But as a future path, I see that the KDP route is probably the, the best way for self-publishing. Oh, excellent. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about, just just slightly dabbing, uh, going back into the Transformers a little bit, is um, so I recently got um, the Transformers Best of the Rarities, and I saw those those strips you did for um, for the Times, I think it was Sunday Times, yeah, yeah. What what what, what happened with those exactly? Because I know they didn't actually get published in the end. No, they didn't. I mean, it was a uh, it was something that came quite late on, really. You know, I don't know. It was eighty nine, wasn't it? Something like that? Yeah, I mean, I I think I was either I think I might well have been gone from staff by then you know i was i left around 89 to go freelance and i'm sure it was just something that i thought well okay this sounds fun little difficult to condense a a transformers story into half a page of five panels Mm -hmm. you know fun to do and in a way shame we didn't they didn't actually get used but i've no idea i presume at some point the sunday times (laughs) just didn't go with it for whatever reason maybe because transformers was not the thing it once was yeah on the wane as it were yeah. um i like i like the whole kind of comedy aspect to them i like the fact that they were just kind of yeah silly kind of silly kind of stories really rather than uh something serious yeah they were quite challenging in a in an interesting way to to get something you know it almost has to be a little sort of almost comic twist to them each time yeah to make it to to get their payoff in there we recently did one of our characters from to the death was called killer toa he's a sort of alien scaly fish man bounty hunter Mm -hmm. character and killer toa we did in a series of little newspaper style strips that went out in strip comic Mm -hmm. and uh that was a fun thing to do to try and again do three panels that even though it's a continuing storyline to an extent has a beginning middle and end <laughs> in three panels so yeah. literally one panel per per section <laughs> yeah that's right you know a little punchline of some sort that makes it less than just part of a one long thing mm-hmm. that that was fun to do as well cool so is there anything else you'd like to talk about before uh, or or mention before we wrap this up? 
No, I think that's it. I mean, there's a few things I can't talk about, some very exciting stuff coming in 2013 that I hope to be able to talk about soon. But these things tend to be, you know, quite slow boil sometimes. Uh, mm. But just generally, yeah, look for more sort of, I would definitely have a look out for five points will be, you know, it's a little departure for me, both in style and content. You know, it's there's not a mech in sight. It's a, a, a sort of 1960s set crime thriller in in New York and uh, you know just quite a different change of pace and I think looking forward that's more of the things I want to do just some of the things I'm less known for so yeah not quite giant robots and a few different things from me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I look forward to hearing about it. Did you say 2023, I assume you meant. You said 2013, I assume. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've lost a decade. I, I didn't want to interrupt you mid-flow, but I was like, <laughs> yes, 2023. Yes. It's easy to forget. Um, <laughs> I'm constantly, I mean, I think we did a podcast for the end of the year, just going over our favourite action figures of the year, and I signed off by going, well, that was our favourite toys of 2021. <laughs> and it wasn't until I actually put it out that I realised I got it wrong. Um, well, Thank you very much for, for doing this. It's been great to have a bit of your time, talk to you. Um, as I made it clear, I'm a, a big fan of your work and, and uh, I've got back into buying all the Marvel, all the old Marvel comics now. So that's uh, that's your fault, partly. <laughs> but um, no, it's been a pleasure talking to you and um, slightly more in depth than just having a quick conversation over the table at a convention. Definitely, and likewise. And thank you for having me on. No worries. Thank you very much. My so there you go. That's my interview with Simon Furman. To be honest, I was a bit lost without your moral support, Dave, but I soldiered on. So um, what's been your experience of Simon, Simon's work, Dave? Um, it's a real shame because, uh, uh, like I said, I, it's such bad timing I got ill when I did because I had so many questions I wanted to, to pick and prod at him about his work because I didn't realise that he was involved in so much stuff. Like, I always knew that he was, you know, like the granddad of the Marvel comics and had such an influence on the Transformers, well, more or less beginnings, especially in the UK. But I didn't realise it trickled into so many other things, like uh, the Dreamwave stuff. I mean, I knew he did stuff in IDW, but stuff like TV shows, Beast Wars, other stuff like that, X-Men Evolution, like, what the hell? Like, it's... <laughs> Yeah, yes, it, it it really kind of all kind of um, it was a kind well, it's like a domino effect, wasn't it? Yeah. From, like, uh, from working on the UK comic through to the G one comic, the G two comic, then uh, getting some work on Beast Wars, then uh, doing um, doing kind of botcon comics and so on, and then kind of yeah, getting TV work like yeah. you say X Men Evolution and a few other things. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff. He's very prolific. He's done a lot of stuff and still is doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's impressive. Hmm. Especially from his, um, like, I guess you could say, humble beginnings of like not even really knowing about Transformers until he kind of got the job or got offered to do the job. And he did his own research and figuring out where he wants to tell the stories in the lore or ethos hmm. of it all at the time. It's, you know, it's... As someone who's obviously experienced all the tricklings of that canon and that work that he's put into it, it's interesting to hear how it began, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, to be fair, Transformers had only been around a, a year. Well, exactly. Yeah. Involved. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not surprising you'd not heard of it. I mean, it's a ch- children's toy line. He was an adult <laughs> working working as a as an editor and journalist, really. I think um, for IPC. So yeah, it's not it's not surprising that he wasn't really that aware of the the whole thing. I mean, he basically I think he started work on I think it was issue fourteen of um, Marvel UK, and at the time that was going out either weekly or biweekly. So you know, it had been it had been around no time at all. This is that's such a weird thing for me because like it's it's so weird to think of a time where someone doesn't know what Transformers is, mm. and like <laughs> to varying degrees of what Transformers is now but I mean just anyone not knowing to some degree what it is and of course there was a point where no one did and it was a brand there was new no thing. such thing there was no such thing <laughs> it boggled my exactly. mind it, yeah it was... yeah it was a brand new thing and um and the, the comics were very much in their early days when he got involved I mean for me um as I mentioned in the interview and uh, I've mentioned before on the podcast, like the G1 cartoon wasn't on much in the UK. So for me, those comics were were Transformers to me. They were where I got the mythology, where I got the um, where I understood the characters from and how the whole world worked. So reading that stuff in um, Marvel UK comics was, yeah, that was it. That was the, the continuity. Mm. So, I mean, I used to infrequently pick up the comic book. Um, my best friend at the time used to have it put aside for him by the news agents and delivered with his dad's papers. And I spent many weekends like round his place lying on the floor reading uh, Transformers UK. And I've got very, I've got very vivid memories of reading, especially the later issues, like um, when Simon took over the US title and therefore he was writing all of it. Like everything in the UK comic was his work pretty much. Mm. So it was it was far more tied together, and you had that whole um, starting kind of with um, kind of pretenders kind of stuff, through to the Unicron saga, as it were, and then the end of the comic. That big long arc that kind of uh, r- ran through to the end was 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 some of the best stuff, best comics I'd read at the time, uh, and really kind of sparked my interest in other comics. I started reading Marvel. Uh, comics isn't uh, spider-man superhero kind of stuff and 2000 ad i was reading that at the time as well so it all kind of it's all part of a of a very nostalgic area for me hmm. it was yeah like i say it's probably my introduction to sci-fi comics it was interesting to hear how he got to use the movie characters in with such freedom and mm. you know really cemented how ultra magnus is the best Autobot warrior ever mm-hmm. to exist <laughs> yeah, and all the stories with Galvatron and whatnot, and time traveling, and just no, it just sounds like a, like it was a great experience. Yeah, I did wonder like how that had come about because obviously the movie came out, and like Simon said, he loved it. But it's it's amazing that they got to use those characters and that uh, Bob Bodansky was not <laughs> not kind of forced by um, Marvel to put them in the comics, so he was able to use them. Because you, you'd think that it would be like, no, we need these guys in because they're the new the new hotness, as it were. I guess so. What what would have been the the selling toys that he would have been pushing at the time, like the later combiner war, combiner war, combiners or pretenders or something? Well, yeah, it would be it would be the end of the Scramble City stuff, 
like the combiners and Metroplex and all that kind of stuff. And then moving into Headmasters and oh, course, um, yeah. Target Masters and all that kind of stuff. And uh, <laughs> and all the various things that came out after that. like uh, All the masters. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, spark bots and all that kind of thing. Like So yeah, I mean, he... Um, I think, yeah, Bob was just too busy cramming in other characters and he was like, I can't do these as well. <laughs> Makes sense. So, I mean, work worked to Simon's advantage, really, didn't it? Mm. Um, I mean, is there any, was there anything that leapt out at you from the interview that you wanted to talk about? Um, I thought when he mentioned Astrobots, it was going to be like some sort of update or new interpretation of Astro Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you sent me the, the link about it and I... Checked it out. I was like, "Oh, this is the. Uh, I've seen these. These are the. There's figures of these. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> I'd never heard of them. And and I, I looked into. They're they're really nice looking figures. Yeah, yeah. Like they're designed by. Uh, I've got the got it in my notes here somewhere. Um. Yeah. Um. Guy called Aaron Thomas, who I think works out of India. Mm-hmm. Um. He designed them, and yeah, yeah. He got. Simon Furman on board to create a storyline for it, and there's a, a five issue miniseries starting in March, which I will definitely check out. Okay, and hopefully it will be rubbish because <laughs> then I won't want to buy the toys. <laughs> I mean, the toys do look really good, uh, to be fair. <laughs> Knowing Simon Furman, it probably won't be rubbish, and I will want to buy the toys. But yeah, they look like really nice figures, and the artwork looks great. Um, mm. I'm probably going to use the artwork that was because we did the interview on Zoom and like. Simon mentions the artwork that was behind him. I'll probably use that as the uh, thumbnail, probably for the YouTube video at the very least. So you'll be able to see that. Mm. But yeah, um, it does look like an interesting uh, little series. And it's got some nice artists involved in it as well, hasn't it? Like, uh, mm. Definitely some names I recognise from IDW, but it could be wrong. <laughs> uh, the artists involved, I've got it up here. I mean, um, it might not be the like the artists for the actual comic. I think like comic the comic covers... I saw. Oh yeah, the covers. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, internals are done by a guy called Hector Trunick, who worked on uh, heavy metal. Okay. I mean, it should be good. It looks nice. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely check that out. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know about the um, the cover artists. I think it's Jeff or Josh Perez is one of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Phil Phil Knott who did work on IDW's Transformers Last Spot Standing. Uh-huh. So yeah, definitely looks like something to, something worth checking out. I'm surprised he's got so much stuff on the go at the moment, to be honest. Like, no, well, not surprised, but like, I didn't know that, that there were so many things happening. I mean, I'm aware of Leopard from Lime Street. Are you? No. So it was. It started like um, a long time ago, uh-huh. um, but before Transformers. And it was a kind of UK comic strip in the kind of, um, I can't remember which comic it was in, but it was like one of the kind of like um, kids comics, like with a lot of kind of like very cartoony kind of stuff. Okay. You know, like Beano or Yeah, that's what Dandy. I was thinking. Like, yeah, like Dandy or something. Were they... Yeah. Uh, what comic was it in? Oh, Buster. There you go. It's in Buster. Okay, yeah, yeah. But it was more kind of superheroic and it was very much based on, um, well, it was a kind of Spider-Man ripoff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the 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 concept was that um, the main character, whose name was Billy Farmer, lived with his aunt and his uncle. Uh-huh. <laughs> went to secondary school, um, was bullied, took photographs for the school magazine, Just ticking a lot of boxes. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, and then and then he was scratched by a radioactive leopard. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> yeah. And got, obviously, superpowers as a result. Um, so, I mean, I, I know almost nothing about it. I just know the basic premise. Mm. And I had to look that up. But yeah, he's still writing that stuff now for um, Rebellion. Um, in a, there's a comic called Monster Fun, which is published by Rebellion, which is kind of an anthology thing. Mm. So yeah, I had no idea he was still working on that. I know that he had in the past. It, it makes you wonder, like, um, just where he gets. Like when you, I can understand if you're you're doing certain, I guess you would call them gigs at certain points, mm-hmm. and there's gaps in between that you might have time to rest and like think of new stuff. But if he's constantly just doing things, how does he get time to just sit and just like, like <laughs> I don't, I guess not retread something he's done before, or maybe. Maybe he used. Maybe he does use his own work as like a bit of inspiration, and then think, how can I reinvent the wheel a bit here? Or, well, he's definitely in, he's definitely influenced by um, movies and other comics and stuff. I mean, there's a whole um, uh, going back to that run I was talking about when he took over Transformers US, mm. the Matrix Quest, oh, yeah. which I think is something that we should maybe read as a as a podcast sometime, <laughs> but. In in the Matrix Quest, there's like I think it's like four or five parts to it, and each one is definitely based on a movie or a book. Like uh, one story is very much uh, a western, okay. another is another is um, like Moby Dick. Okay. <laughs> um, what's the name of that pretender? Is he called Longtooth? Oh, the one with tusks. Oh, is, is it um, Skullgrin or something? No, no, he's a goodie. Oh, he's, he's a, a good he's guy. An Autobot. Um, oh god, I have no idea what that one. Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, I think he's called Longtooth, and he um he goes all kind of Captain Ahab after this um after this massive kind of um techno organic whale, <laughs> okay. and then and then there's a one that's very much uh, based around the kind of concept of alien. Okay. So yeah, like there's definitely influences there that he's pulling from. And of course, the whole kind of um, uh, Maltese Falcon kind of um, noir detective stuff. Okay. um, uh, You know who? Nightbeat. Yeah, Nightbeat, (laughs) exactly. So that's all in Matrix Quest. So it would be quite a good one to read, actually. So I'll I'll put that down on the uh, future things. Maybe me, you and Michael might do. You heard it here first, folks. Teases (laughs) for the new new year. Well, I just recently reread it all, and it's great. It's really good. It's a shame that it all wrapped up. It had it had to all be wrapped up so quickly because it really it ends quite abruptly. Basically, Marvel went right. We're cancelling the comic, and I think Simon had a bunch of storylines kind of mapped out, mm. and he had to kind of tie all the loose ends together as best he could in order to finish on that last issue. Did it feel like as abrupt as the season four in the show? Just. Oh, I don't. Oh, you mean? Oh, so you mean you mean um, rebirth? Yeah. Uh, well, that was that was Celeste. That was less kind of abrupt as kind of like we just need to get you to get all this stuff into four episodes, or is it three? Let's get all that in there. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it, it is a little bit, but it's more like there were quite a lot of story threads kind of left. Well, were left dangling and were going to go on a lot longer, mm. and then. Uh, Simon had to kind of tie them all up quite abruptly, and it sort of was—it was—it was a satisfying end, but it felt 
like there was more to go, mm. which is why it was great that he then got to do Regeneration 1 oh, with yes. IDW, yeah. which is the continuation from that point. Yeah, that was... um Because you showed me some panels from that, and it it's really cool how they even, like... I mean, the artwork is obviously different, but it still feels like it's part of that world of Transformers. Yeah, I mean, you're actually talking about Transformers 84. That's what I sent you some panels for. Oh, it's 84. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, but Transformers Regeneration 1 was drawn by Andrew Wildman, so it very much felt like a continuation because Andrew Wildman drew the final, I don't know, maybe 10 issues of the US run, mm. and then he drew all of Regeneration 1, so it very much felt like a continuation. Oh, well, there you go. But what you're talking about is Transformers 84, which is a prequel to the Marvel Marvel Comics uh, Transformers. Oh, right. Okay, wow. And that's drawn by uh, uh, Guido Giddy, is his name, I think? Guido Guidi, or Guidi. I don't know if you can pronounce it better than I can. I, I, there you go. I, and, I feel like I w- I've already done him a disservice by quoting yeah. him in another comic book, but yes. <laughs> but and, and then uh, John Paul Bove did the colours, and I think the colours are just as important. The colouring is fantastic. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. No, it's a really great comic. I read it all quite recently, and like you've got issue zero, which is basically a one-shot, and then you have the um, Secrets and Lies, which is a four-issue mini. And it's all um, narrated by um, Counterpunch, Punch, whatever he's called, oh, yeah. that guy. And he's he's playing a double agent, um, obviously. Mm. And it's, yes, it's a really fun read. And it kind of it weaves little bits in from the UK continuity and, um, and, st- and ideas that had been kind of fleshed out much later in things like some of his stuff on IDW, some of the stuff in Beast Wars, like, the, like various bits... Also explains the Dinobots a little bit better as well. Oh, how? You know, we spoke about on the uh, arrival from Cybertron um, episode we did for Christmas, mm-hmm. how there in the comics the Dinobots were created by uh, were were brought to life by the Ark computer to fight Shockwave, mm-hmm. and they used they basically scanned the local the current um, dominant life forms, which were dinosaurs. And as Galactosh pointed out, no, dinosaurs didn't <laughs> exist at that time. But then there's also the fact that there was, because it, it was in the Marvel Universe, it, it was the Savage Land, mm. which did exist and did have dinosaurs in. So, okay, fine. But in um, in Secrets and Lies, uh, Simon writes it in that they... Well, basically, the counterpunches or punch, uh, I think it's counterpunch at the time, he switches backs and forwards, obviously. <laughs> he's explaining it and he's going, well, there's quite a bit of misinformation about how this happened. But the way I understand it is that um, it scanned bones and fossils rather than actual living creatures. Oh, like Beast Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So a bit more, made a bit more sense. But no, there's some really good stuff in that. And, um, and Shockwave is fantastic in it. He's constantly... Um, trying to manipulate Megatron, <laughs> which really plays into the fact that in the comics, Megatron's only the leader of the Decepticons for about nine issues, maybe less. And then Shockwave takes over. Which is so crazy to me that there was this a constant power struggle of leadership, especially on the Decepticon yeah. side. It's just like, 
Yeah. Well, no, yeah, Megatron is is in and out of leadership. Then he disappears for a while. Then he then everyone thinks he's dead for a while. And there's loads of stuff where he's he's just not present. And then you've got Galvatron coming from the future, and then you've got the two, two different Galvatrons, <laughs> and you've got Megatron being uh, brought back to life and then getting meshed together with Ratchet. Oh, yeah. There's lots of crazy stuff. <laughs> but yeah, that was really good. I really enjoyed Transformers 84. It was good to have a chat with him about that. I would recommend giving that a read at some point. But yeah, it was good to hear that he wants to do more... Well, I, I, I wasn't surprised that he wants to do more original Death's Head. I think he should definitely be allowed to do that. <laughs> I mean, it's um, it'd be crazy if they didn't have him on board in some capacity. If they mm. were planning to do something more with that character. Well, they have. They have. He's appeared in stuff. He's, 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 been, picked up, he's been picked up by a lot of writers who read Simon Fermer's original stuff. <laughs> like people like, Kier, like Kieran Gillen and so on. They've used him okay. in their Marvel comics. So he has... He has reappeared in Marvel Comics and several times since then. Okay. And Simon Furman has had a chance to write him once or twice, I think, but not recently. So I think he'd like access to it. He is his character after all, but <laughs> hey, Marvel own him. <laughs> well, I guess he could, um, I guess if he had if he got a chance to write for Transformers again, he could always uh, do something with Lockdown because he's not like his very closely like suggestive idea for where he came from right yes the animated definitely used a lot of idea they, yeah they kind of st- not stole but they kind of uh, <laughs> appropriated death's head a little bit into the lockdown character so yeah i guess i guess if he did write something that had lockdown in the lockdown that we know from animated or or a version of lockdown mm. you could do, definitely do that i think but yeah it's one of those things where when he originally created him he made sure to have him published in a Marvel story mm. separate to Transformers so that Marvel owned the rights and Hasbro didn't. That's interesting. Why is that? A... Why? <laughs> well, because at the time he's working for Marvel mm. and he wants to be able to use that character in the future. So, you know, and um, Bob Bodansky did the same thing with um, Circuit Breaker. Circuit Breaker appeared in Secret Wars, like, as a background character, just so that Circuit Breaker is a, uh, belongs to Marvel, not, uh, not Hasbro. I, I didn't, I didn't realise it worked that way in terms of, like, because the Transformers was a licence that they got from Hasbro, right? Yeah. That Marvel had. Mm-hmm. So, but it's still a Marvel comic so it wasn't but, but everything everything created and written in transformers belongs to hasbro right well so anything like all the kind of like for instance the creation matrix which was created by uh, bob badansky and and lots of the stuff like primus which was created by simon Furman, mm. all that stuff belongs to hasbro because it was written in the transformers comic Wow. It doesn't belong to Marvel because Marvel would, were, were doing a license. Yeah. Those those are licensed characters. They were they were licensing them from Hasbro and therefore anything created in it also belongs to Hasbro. <laughs> so there you go. It's, it's, what work, it's what work for hire is though, isn't it? You know, you, you create stuff and that belongs to the company that you're working for forever. 
and, that, and that's why you get occasionally people getting a bit pissed off with um, <laughs> with Disney making millions on a character you created and going, oh, here's a five thousand pounds. I mean, I get just as a, as a thank you. I guess now, I guess now it's a bit less diluted because Disney owns everything, really, doesn't it? So. Well, a lot, <laughs> a lot. Yeah, it owns a lot. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't own Hasbro. No, it doesn't own Hasbro. No. Yeah, Hasbro um, license license from them now. <laughs> but yeah, they don't. Uh, they're not owned by by them. Yeah, there was that little bit where I accidentally didn't record a couple of minutes of uh, Simon talking. I was going to ask you about that. What happened? Was he not recording on his end? Was he just through, through Zoom? No, we were just we were, we were just recording on. I was recording his his audio through Zoom. All oh, right. And I forgot to hit record, so I got my half of the <laughs> interview and uh, not his. And luckily, I realised like pretty quickly. But essentially, guys, if you'd like to know what I the question the question I asked was about Dreamwave and how it started well and that and and I was asking him what what was good about it and, and what he regrets not being able to finish off and I essentially still got pretty much all the answer in there but he was just basically saying yeah obviously it, it's it it ended badly <laughs> but um there's some really good work that he got to do and he wished he could have finished it off like War Within and things like that yeah I, re- I mean you know that you know the story of how it ended um someone named Pat Lee did some <laughs> questionable things with people's money and didn't pay his staff yeah essentially <laughs> essentially that yeah patley um who's who owned dreamwave which was i think it was originally an imprint from image because he used to work for uh, he used to work for rob liefeld he was a like a rob liefeld uh alumni all right and uh, he drew all that kind of crazy you know muscles pouches <laughs> giant gun stuff um, Is that why the, they've all got those type of proportions? <laughs> yes, exactly. It was, it was that kind of yeah, it was that nineties comics look, which was also in the G two comic, as you which you did yes, briefly yeah. touch on. Maybe talk about it in a minute, but um, yeah. Um, so yeah, he made his own imprint, and I think there was a there was a bidding war over the license for Transformers. Transformers had been. There'd been no Transformers comics in years. Hmm. Like since G two had finished, there'd been nothing. And this was around the kind of Armada period hmm. that Dreamwave got the license. And I think what Pat Lee had to do was he had to make Dreamwave a separate independent company in order to do the Transformers comic. And it was hugely successful for a while. Well hmm. it was hugely successful. But Pat Lee wasn't uh um wasn't spending money wisely and uh and possibly doing some uh creative accounting <laughs> all very libelous i'm not 100 percent sure what was happening but the long <laughs> shot of it is that people didn't get paid right simon Furman in- included i believe like lots of, lots of artists and writers didn't get what they were owed and um dreamwave Filed for bankruptcy, it all went very, it all went south, and it was quite, um, there's quite a lot of bitterness <laughs> about it. I mean, f- fair enough. I mean, I, I think anyone would be in that situation. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, did you read any of the Armada comics? Because obviously, you're into Armada. I did, um, and I even looked back to see if I if I had some, and I did have a few. It was a bit weird reading them out of context, but um, 
But I told you that I had I had more memory of reading the Energon ones. Mm. And I think it's better, to be honest. I really like the transition from Armada to Energon in the comic and that how mm. it develops the characters and makes like the Terracons real characters as well. Mm. And I love the art style of how like everyone's just massive. You know, they're just yeah. enormous machines, which they should be, but it's really it really hits home in that comic and I I really liked it. I always thought that that was the better story. Um, well, I think it was it was written by Simon Furman, but I think it was Alex Milne doing the um, artwork. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, there you go. Who then went on to do lots of IUW stuff, including More Than Meets the Eye. It kind of speaks, speaks to the creative Transformers bubble that seems to be in the comics. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Alex Milne did indeed debut as an artist on Transformers comics in the pages of Energon. But he wasn't the only one. The aforementioned Guido Giddy, I hope I got that right, and James Reyes also saw their Transformers debut on Armada slash Energon, and all three went on to do work for IDW. Simon took over Armada from issue 6 and wrote it right through to the name change to Energon, and its abrupt end on issue 36. I mean, I did read some of those comics. I mean, like Simon was saying, like they, they were kind of... Because it was Armada, and everyone was more into the G1 stuff, yeah. they were kind of allowed to do whatever they wanted, which did re- lead to some really interesting stuff. I'm sure that there was a whole storyline where um, characters from G1 kind of jumped across into that universe at one point. I think so, yeah. yeah. I, think it, it, um, I couldn't tell you why it happened, but I do think I read some of that as well, yeah. Mm. But yeah, I did mention G2, and G- the G2 comic, I think it ran for like, what was it 12 issues it wasn't long but like that's that had the very 90s um massive guns weapon and ammo belts isn't there like a a cover with megatron with his massive new tank mode like looking all buff yeah. <laughs> i think that was um gi joe and the transformers which is what g2 span out of oh, okay <laughs> but yeah it was it was definitely that yeah um the artwork in that is amazing, but it's very of the time. It's very, very, um, a lot more gritty and a lot more um, cross-hatching going on um, for certain characters. But it, yeah, it looked cool. I mean, it, like I said, always you always got to appreciate the artists who take part in this. Yeah, and and you got we got Giaxus. Oh yes, of course, yeah. yeah. You're... Who I now I now have the figure <laughs> first. Um, modern Hasbro figure I've bought in probably a decade. We got him, folks. I knew it would well, take a few Transformers years. Transformers figure. I mean, I bought a lot. Of, <laughs> I bought a lot of uh, GI Joe classified, <laughs> but like, but like modern Transformers. I haven't bought any in a long time. But I just had to have a G Axis. See, I, I was very close to getting him for you for the Christmas episode, but I knew mm. you would get him eventually. And I honestly thought oh, I see. you would have got him before Christmas. <laughs> so you got me Booster Gold and a Blue Beetle, yeah. Oh, like, All right. uh, yeah, can't top G-Axis. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, I, I got him secondhand. He's, he's great. He's a fantastic little figure, actually. Good. really like him. I mean, he's got a bit of a rubbish old mode, but... <laughs> Hasn't everybody in the mix? <laughs> well, you know, they could, have, they could have tried a little bit harder. It is a bit hollow. But the robot mode is fantastic. It's really good looking. And I just want to clarify that uh, when um, G-Axis was introduced in the GT, G2 comics, 
Simon was involved in that as well, right? Yeah, he wrote all the G2 comics. He wrote all of that? Mm. Okay. He created Giaxus. That's his character. That's his character as well. And Giaxus is a pun, as in oh, yeah. G-Ax-Us. Because he was aware that this G2 comic was probably not going to run very long. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was kind of like nod and a wink of like, uh, I don't, I think our days are numbered here. <laughs> because at the time there was so little support. I mean, the G2 line was lackluster at best. Mm. I mean, there was some good stuff in there, but there was a lot of repaints of G1 stuff. There was no cartoon. Well, there was, but it was G1. <laughs> G1 um, uh, uh, replays of G1 episodes with a new a kind of slightly kind of CGI kind of opening bit. And a giant Power Master Prime talking to a child in it as well, isn't that? I'm, I know, I think that was season five or... F- yeah, I think that was that, that was G1. That was so G1. That was, arse, that, that was the arse end of G1. That was when G1 was basically on its, on its knees. It was about to go. They, I think season five was... It was basically reruns of old episodes, but with Power Master Prime talking to this little kid before each episode. And I, this was one of the questions I wanted to ask Simon, but I wanted to see if you know this. Like, was Transformers always called Generation 1? Or did it only become Generation 1 after Generation 2 became a thing? The latter. Like, Star Wars then becoming A New Hope several years later. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the movie was called Star Wars, just Star Wars. Mm. Yeah, Generation one was not called generation one it was called transformers right um and it wasn't until generation two came out that people started referring to the first one as generation one right that's what i thought i was like wanted to clarify because obviously i wasn't there it's it's like it is it is like when you make a movie like you make die hard and then you make die hard two Mm. die hard is not called die hard one Mm. it's called die hard but you you have to um you have to make sure that you put it in that parameters for if you're talking to someone in conversation. No, I mean the first one, not yep. whatever Die Hard, the latest one was Die Harder or whatever it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, they had Die Harder and uh, uh, yeah, whatever. But you know what I mean? That kind of like, yeah, like, what what else? What other what other movies? Could think? Like Terminator. Terminator was called mm-hmm. Terminator and there was Terminator 2 or T2. But yeah, exactly. It was called it was just called Transformers. The Transformers. The Transformers. Okay. That, that, is the name of, that is the name of the toy line. That is the name of the TV show. It's not called Generation 1. Mm. That's what it's called. But people refer to it as G1 because otherwise you might get confused. Which is um, also pretty fair. You mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of Transformers titles that get reused over the years, so it can get a bit confusing. <laughs> well, yeah, well, two robots in disguise and, um, <laughs> and so on. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's good to hear that um, they're continuing to the death, him and Jeff Senior, mm-hmm. which um, is cool. I mean, uh, I, Jeff Senior was always one of my favourite Transformers artists back in the day, so it's good to see that he's they're working together again. Mm. I, I definitely need to read more of it. I've read like maybe an issue or two. And it's one of those things that, well, Simon Furman's got a new comic out. I should definitely check that out. And then you get busy with something else. and But... They're all there on uh, getmycomics.com, so I will I will maybe pick up the first slipcase. About 20 quid, not terribly expensive, so I may well check those out. Oh, there you go. 
And then it's being published in the sequel to it is being published in Shift, which is like an anthology title that's also produced by the same um by Get My Comics or whatever. Oh yeah, um something I should mention because Simon couldn't remember. The publisher of Astrobots is called Whatnot. Whatnot. Mm. Speak, speaking of that, like it was nice that you asked him about the possible future of who's picking up the Transformers license and his, mm. you know, obviously vague reply, um, which I actually kind of believe that he doesn't know. But it's interesting. I thought by now we would know something more officially, um, but it doesn't seem. Uh, like. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> I mean, all we have to go on is that there was a rumour that Hasbro were talking to Skybound, which is Robert Kirkman's imprinted image. But that's it. I feel like that rumour was like over a year ago now. Like It was quite a while ago now. And we've had no word since. And mm. from from what James Roberts has said and from what Simon has said, um, I honestly don't think anyone knows. There'll be somebody at Hasbro who has some kind of inkling. <laughs> <laughs> but but like but nobody at the moment has any idea what's happening. Oh, it's interesting. But I would not be surprised. I, I I would find it incredibly shocking if whoever does take up the license doesn't contact Simon Furman. <laughs> Health <laughs> or some or Simon Furman doesn't contact them. <laughs> so yeah, um, well yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it'd be good to see. I'd love to see more. Um, yeah, more Transformers eighty four. Because that was a good, a good little run. There's more. There's more stories to be told there. Like basically in between the margins of mm. Transformers, the Marvel run, and and the wonderful thing about the license, like we were saying before, when you're talking about who owns what, mm. like because IDW took got the Transformers license, they therefore had access to all the Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is why they did reprints of it. Um, why they um, why they did. Regeneration 1 and uh, 84 and the best of the UK and um, that best of the rarities that mm-hmm. um, uh, James Roberts curated. So yeah, um, and I didn't know he was writing for the Earth Wars games and so on. So yeah, I mean, not that I've played the Earth, I've not played the Earth Wars games, have you? Um, no, but I didn't know there was much story in the Earth Wars games, to be honest. So um gives me a little bit more confidence if I ever do want to play it. <laughs> well, I imagine it's it's kind of not to downplay it, but I imagine it's kind of a uh, the fluff that holds the the game together, you know. I suppose so. I mean, I the game has has developed and has gone through so much changes since it began. But at the beginning, it just felt like it's just, it's not my type of game, the type of top down fortress strategy game. Yeah, it is my kind of game, and I, had, <laughs> yeah. I, get, I did give it a go, and it just didn't quite work for me. It was all right. Okay. It was all right. But, hey, I, I, I pick a game and then play it to death, and uh, <laughs> this one didn't quite, didn't quite gel. I was too busy with XCOM. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is probably one of the best kind of ter- turn-based strategy games I've ever played. Um. So yeah, so yeah, and then he's doing the five points thing with uh, Martin Stiff. There's kind of crime noir mm-hmm. graphic novel, which is a, coming out through Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing, which I didn't know was a thing. So that's interesting. So it's a, it's a basically a kind of direct to market um, publishing thing where you can basically create your own work and then it's made to order essentially. 
Interesting. I mean, isn't, um, I guess I thought Amazon already did something like that, but I guess that's more of a streamlined system of doing it. Um, mm. a more of official way. I think you can put up work on Amazon, but I, I don't know how legitimized it is or how. Yeah, but it sounds like they actually, they'll actually print it as well rather than just digital copies. So. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, it's something worth looking into. So, was there anything you would have asked that I wasn't able to ask? I mean, you said you gave me one question earlier. Um, uh, I guess, yeah, I would have asked him a bit more about um, uh, last year's TFM as well, because it was interesting, obviously, because we had the talk with James Roberts before we saw him there, mm-hmm. and it was interesting to see uh, how the fans reacted to all of them on stage and asked some questions and obviously I imagine Simon has done many of those not just TFN but conventions and how does he find interacting with the fans mm. have you know read and loved his work yeah because obviously for a lot of people who do writing or art or stuff like that you don't necessarily always get maybe the nicest fans who reach out to you or the the <laughs> best Type of feedback, but I'm guessing he, you know, it's uh, quite different if you go into a place like that. I think he's pretty beloved by most, if not all, Transformers fans. I don't think there's many people who have many big issues with him. That's good. <laughs> hmm? All right. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to say before we uh, sign off, or anything else you'd like to comment on? Mm, no, except for you know, thanks for. You know, taking charge of the interview while I was ill, and we <laughs> <laughs> were I was very worried about prolonging it or delaying it in case I was not well in later in the week. Mm. So I'm glad that you just you got it done, and it was it was very good. Oh well, thank you very much. Um, I think yeah, I think it went well enough. I'm happy with it, and I hope you guys are happy with it too. <laughs> Well, that's another Transformers legend ticked off the list. We need to thank Simon again for giving us his time and reminiscing once again about his Transformers work. Just so you know, um, we've put the links to just about everything I mentioned in the interview and and Simon mentioned in the interview in the description, so check it out. Um, all of the various places you can go to find his uh, current work on um, To The Death and uh, this new Astrobots thing. Mm-hmm. Links to all of that stuff. So, did you enjoy the interview? Who should we interview next? Why not let us know on social media? Mm. Search for us on all of them. You should find us fairly easily. Just search Arc My Optics. You can find me particularly on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I am at Gear Orion and Orion underscore Gear respectively. And Dave, where can they find you? Um, you can, as always, you can always find me on Instagram, virtualdave26, or on Twitter, virtualdave26. Excellent. Uh, and don't forget, if you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by liking, subscribing, sharing, reviewing, and you can even join our Patreon if you are so inclined at <laughs> www.patreon.com. Arg my optics! Don't forget the double A. We really appreciate all that, um, all that, uh... Energon goodies! <laughs> all those positive vibes, yeah. Uh, so, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, and please join us next time on... Ah, my optics! optics.